Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how do you view life? What do you think that life is all about? Many people focus on the here and now. Their perspective on life is that you've only got one life to live, so you better make the most of it. People have their bucket list, a a list of things that they want to do before they die. For them, the focus of life is on enjoying it as much as they can. There's also a different perspective on life. The Bible teaches us that life is a journey. As Christians, we are exiles and sojourners on our way to a better homeland. The focus is on making it to our destination, on sharing in life with the Lord in joy and glory forevermore. Now, this doesn't mean that we may not enjoy the Lord's blessings along the way. As we journey through life, we're allowed to pursue various interests. But if certain things we desire don't happen, we don't get all stressed out by it. Because at the end of the day, arriving at our destination is much more important than creature comforts along the way. In the book of Numbers, Israel is on a journey. The Lord had delivered them from slavery in Egypt and brought them to Mount Sinai. Soon they would continue on their journey to the promised land. Our text deals with the Lord's command to celebrate the Passover feast before Israel embarked on their journey. By commanding them to observe the Passover, the Lord reminds his people of his glorious works of redemption. Our text also shows how the Lord appeared to his people in a cloud over the tabernacle. It signified God's presence in the camp. But the cloud also provided direction. Israel was to camp when the cloud remained, to pack up and travel when the cloud lifted. There are a lot of parallels between Israel's travels through the wilderness and the Christian life. Our reading from 1 Corinthians 10 makes that point. Paul writes that Israel's experiences were an example for us. He says that these things were written down for our instruction. There's much we can learn from the Lord's dealings with his people that applies to our walk with God today. Just as the Lord guided his people to the promised land, so he is leading us on the way to our eternal homeland. This morning we'll consider how God guides and directs us on our journey through life. Preach to God's word under the following theme. As we travel through life's journey to our homeland, the Lord calls us to follow him. We're to follow the Lord by obeying his word and by being guided by his spirit. Our text begins with the Lord speaking with Moses on the in the first month, the second year after they came out of Egypt. God reminds Moses that the time has come to celebrate the Passover. The Passover was a special feast that the Israelites celebrated on the night on which the Lord delivered them from Egypt. Yet the Lord had commanded that the Passover be celebrated as an annual feast. Israel was supposed to celebrate it 
from generation to generation. So now, on the first anniversary of their exodus out of Egypt, it was Passover time. When the Lord first instituted the Passover, he commanded Israel to observe this feast in a particular manner. The Passover had precise regulations. Every household was to set aside a lamb for this feast. The household was too small to eat a lamb. It could share the lamb with its nearest neighbor. At twilight on the 14th day of the month, they were to kill the lamb and put some of the blood on the door frames of their houses. They were to roast the lamb on the fire and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So why were the Israelites to celebrate the Passover each year? Exodus 12 verse 14 calls the Passover a memorial day. Each July 1st, we celebrate Canada Day, remembering the anniversary of the day on which Canada became a nation, on July 1st, 1867. So the Passover was celebrated as a remembrance of God's mighty deeds of deliverance. When this day was instituted, the Lord commanded, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. The Lord showed that this feast had a teaching function. When children asked about the meaning of the Passover, parents were to tell them about all the Lord's mighty deeds. A year earlier, the Lord had delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. On the 14th day of the first month, the Lord sent a destroying angel throughout the land of Egypt. This angel destroyed the firstborn throughout the land. But the Lord did not let him enter the homes of the Israelites who had spread blood on the door frames of their homes. And so the angel of death passed over the homes of God's people, sparing them from this plague. The result of this final plague was that Pharaoh sent the Israelites on their way. With a mighty hand, the Lord delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. Our text emphasizes how Israel was to observe this feast and keep it according to all its statutes and rules. The reason for this was that the different elements of this feast had meaning. For seven days from twilight on the 14th day, they were to eat unleavened bread. When they left Egypt, they didn't have time to allow their bread to rise. They ate the feast with belts fastened, sandals on their feet and their staff in their hand. They were to eat in haste, ready to go. They ate the lamb and the unleavened bread with bitter herbs, symbolizing the bitterness of the slavery they endured in Egypt. Especially the Passover lamb had special meaning. Its blood was shed and put on the door frames of their houses. It symbolized the need for the shedding of blood to pay for the people's sins. We know that the Passover lamb also pointed forward to Christ. John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul calls Christ our Passover lamb. Christ came in fulfillment of what the Passover signified. He came to redeem us, to pay the price for our sins. He came to set us free from the tyranny of Satan. He came to give us a bright future, to bring us 
to our promised land. It's in Christ that we share an everlasting life, that we look forward to life with the Lord on new heavens and a new earth. It's important for Israel to observe the command to celebrate the Passover on this first anniversary. Israel was starting out on a journey that would be filled with difficult trials. They had to travel through an inhospitable desert. Desert was a place where food and water were in short supply. Israel would also be faced with hostile armies. They were former slaves. They were not trained soldiers. Who would provide their needs? Who would protect them from the assault of their enemies? Celebration of the Passover was intended to focus Israel's faith on the Lord their God. It was to call to mind his awesome deeds of bringing the ten plagues on Egypt, of bringing them out of slavery, to help them remember how the Lord led his people through the Red Sea while drowning Pharaoh and all his troops in the midst of a flood of waters. We, beloved, experience the same thing when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It is a feast of remembrance, focusing our attention on Christ's willingness to suffer and die on the cross to redeem us. It's also a feast of encouragement We're reminded and assured of the Lord's presence with us and of his promise that he is coming again. Our text continues with a complication that arose when the Israelites celebrated the Passover. There were some people who could not celebrate the Passover because they were unclean. They'd been in contact with a dead body that had ceremonially defiled them. Their uncleanness prevents them from the Passover feast. In the situation, we see that two clear instructions from God clashed in their life. On the one hand, God's clear command is that they are to keep the Passover feast on the 14th day of the first month. And yet, on the other hand, uncleanness prevented those affected from presence in the camp let alone from participating in worship. There's two divine truths in conflict here. Verse 13 of our text makes clear that not keeping the Passover was a serious sin, resulting in a person being cut off from among his people. But these people would also sin if they kept the Passover while they were defiled. Their choice is not keeping the Passover at all or keeping it in a defiled way. We call that a moral dilemma. A moral dilemma occurs when God gives clear commands in the Bible, but when we cannot keep both of them in the manner in which they are commanded. Moral dilemmas occur more often. Let me give you a famous example. During World War II, many people hid persecuted Jews in their homes. Sometimes the Germans would come and ask those living in a home whether or not they were sheltering Jews. These people said no, they'd be lying. Said yes, they'd be condemning these Jewish people to death. 
I could give a more pertinent example that applies to our circumstances today. On the one hand, the Lord commands us to be subject to the governing authorities that he has placed over us. Romans 13 commands us to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also for conscience' sake. 1 Peter 2 teaches the need to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that our actions cause them to glorify God. Yet on the other hand, the Lord commands his people to worship him. Hebrews 10 teaches us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The church is, by definition, a gathering, an assembly of God's people. So today, we also face a moral dilemma. On the one hand, we are commanded to submit to the governing authorities. Also, when the Manitoba government, in response to the current health crisis, has prevented in-person worship since November 15th. But on the other hand, the Bible commands us to worship the Lord. And we believe in-person worship is essential. How do you reconcile conflicting commands? In our text, the people came to Moses for advice. They recognized that in dealing with moral dilemmas, God's guidance is especially needed. What Moses did was instructive and helpful. Moses initially called them not to act at all. He tells them to wait until he can find out what God's will is. The word our text translates as wait literally means to stand still or to stop. That's good advice. At times, we're faced with circumstances where we need to make tough decisions. At times, we don't feel like we have enough light on the subject to act wisely. At times like that, it can be dangerous to act until you have the insight that you need. Moses had the ability to go directly to God to ask him what to do. He lived in a time when God's will was not yet fully revealed in the Bible. God offered guidance. He made his will known. The answer he gives Moses showed forth his grace. The Lord did not allow the defiled people to participate in the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. But he didn't want them to miss out either. He commands that these people be allowed to celebrate a month later. And yet the celebration is carefully prescribed to take place on the 14th day of the second month. And only those who had a legitimate reason for not attending the first celebration were allowed to participate. Those who were lazy or those who couldn't be bothered to celebrate the first time were to be cut off. They were to be excommunicated from God's people. Today, we don't have the ability to go directly to God and ask for advice in the particular moral dilemmas that face us in our lives. But we do have the complete Word of God, which contains all we need for doctrine and life. We need to diligently study the Word of God 
so we know God's will for our lives. As our text teaches, we also need to obey the word, not just when it's easy or when it suits us, but also when it's hard, when it goes against what we want to do. One of the key principles the first part of Numbers 9 teaches us is the need for heartfelt obedience to God's commands. We need to remember, beloved, that life is a journey. Just as Israel was on their way from Egypt to the Promised Land, so we are on a journey to our eternal homeland. We are called to follow the Lord as we make our journey through life. Following the Lord involves trusting and obeying. We need to believe His sure promises and to obey His commands. What if those commands appear contradictory? To what extent do we need to obey the government's restrictions on public worship? Doesn't God's call to worship override that? Shouldn't we obey God rather than man? Among us, different members would answer this dilemma in different ways. To a large extent, it depends on your perspective on the current health crisis and the government's handling of it. We are all agreed on the fact that in-person worship is essential and in our common desire to meet together again soon. We're not agreed on whether or when civil disobedience is warranted or necessary. Beloved, no matter what our perspectives may be, we're all called to walk by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, also in the midst of disagreements about our current health situation. Many of us are facing COVID fatigue. So especially at this time, we need to remember who our God is and all that he has done for us. We need to trust the Lord's mercies are new every morning. We need to count our blessings. We need to adopt the psalmist's perspective. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's the kind of perspective we need as we journey through the midst of life's trials and struggles. This brings us to our second point, and we'll consider how we are to follow the Lord by being guided by His Spirit. The second part of our text seems to be completely separate from the first. After speaking about the need to celebrate the Passover feast, and giving instructions about how ceremonially unclean people were to do that, the focus of our text changes. It speaks about the day when the tabernacle was set up. It tells us that the cloud covered the tabernacle. During the day, the people saw a cloud, and at night there was an appearance of fire. Every Israelite would have understood what was happening. 
They had seen this cloud and pillar of fire before. It was when Pharaoh and his soldiers had come after them at the Red Sea. God came between them and the Egyptian armies in a cloud and in a pillar of fire. He lit up the way for the Israelites to the midst of the sea. God gave lights to the Israelites, but left the Egyptians in darkness. It's this cloud and pillar of fire that covered the tabernacle. It was an outward symbol of God's presence among them. But there was more to the cloud than just God's presence. Our text tells us that when the cloud lifted, Israel set out on their journey. And when the cloud settled down, they camped. Sometimes the cloud remained over the tabernacle only for the night. At other times, it remained over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a longer time. Through the cloud, the Lord regulated the times when Israel traveled and the times when they remained in camp. Thus, the cloud also served as a means of guidance and direction from God. At times, we might be inclined to envy those Israelites. How wonderful it would be to have a reminder of the visible presence of God day by day. What a blessing to receive guidance and direction about how to live your daily life. God said the times when Israel needed to break camp and to set out on the next stage of their journey and the times when they were to remain in camp. We think it would have been so much easier to live in a time when God's people received direct guidance from God. Yeah, beloved, that's simply not true. Do you know how many of the Israelites who saw the cloud actually made it to the promised land? It was just two, Joshua and Caleb. The rest of the Israelites died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Yes, it was a blessing to have a visible reminder of God's presence through the cloud. God did provide guidance to his people through the cloud. But the people still needed faith to survive the journey. Faith does not come from miracles. It comes from believing the word of God. Jesus made this clear in the parable about the rich man and Lazarus. In the story, the rich man ends up in hell. He asked that Lazarus might be sent back to earth so his five brothers would not also end up in hell. The rich man says that if someone were to return from the dead, they would repent. Jesus responded, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Striking to note that many of the scribes and Pharisees didn't believe in Jesus even after he arose from the dead. Faith comes from hearing the word of God and believing it. It doesn't come from miracles. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul makes reference to Israel's journey through the wilderness. He writes about how our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. For us as Christians, 
The travels of Israel in the wilderness have become a metaphor of the Christian life. Paul writes that the things that happen to the Israelites in the desert serve as an example for us, that we should learn from them. How does the cloud over the tabernacle relate to our lives as Christians living thousands of years later? We don't have a special cloud hanging over our church building, providing guidance and direction for our lives today. God obviously doesn't guide our lives that way anymore. It's helpful to consider if there are any mention of clouds in the New Testament. What's striking is that in the New Testament, clouds are most often associated with Jesus. On the mountain of transfiguration, a bright cloud overshadowed Jesus and the three disciples who were with him. And from the cloud, the Father spoke, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. The cloud symbolized the presence of God. And from that cloud, God told the disciples Jesus was his son. They were to listen, to be obedient to him. On the day Jesus ascended into heaven, a cloud took him from earth into heaven. We also have God's promise that Jesus will come back on the clouds of heaven. It is as if Jesus claims the imagery of Numbers 9 for himself. The Passover lamb pointed forward to how Jesus would shed his blood in order to pay for our sins. The cloud symbolizes how just as God was constantly present with Israel as it travels to the promised land, so Jesus is constantly with us. We live after Pentecost. The outpouring of the Spirit. The Spirit of God personalizes the presence of Jesus. It is as he promised, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Beloved, we today are guided and led by God's word and by the Spirit of God who lives in us. By faith in Christ, we are one with him. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, Paul says that we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Paul talks about how the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul indicates that as Christians, we're different. We're spiritual people. For we've been enlightened by God through the powerful working of his word and spirit in us. Paul ends 1 Corinthians 2 by stating, but we have the mind of Christ. If you believe in the Lord, and are willing to submit your heart and life in obedience to his commands. You don't need to flounder in the darkness. Part of being a Christian is having our minds enlightened. In his word, God gives us commands to enable us to live in the freedom that Christ has earned for us. 
In his word, God provides principles that we may apply to the moral dilemmas that we face in our lives. The Spirit helps us to understand and apply the teaching of the Bible. Through the Spirit's work, Jesus Christ becomes our guide through life. This doesn't mean that discerning God's will for our lives is always easy. Life is complex. There are often times we need to study and pray for discernment and wisdom. God gives others in life to help us make the difficult decisions we're sometimes called to make. He gives parents and grandparents, other family members and friends. He gives teachers and elders and pastors. They can help us to work through the difficult situations that confront us. The Bible teaches that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Some issues need vigorous discussion in order to come to wise decisions. And beloved, we shouldn't pretend we always get it right. Sometimes further input or reflection helps us to come to a better decision. I'd like you to remember, beloved, that life is a journey. We've not been placed on earth to pursue our own interests, to take pleasure or find comfort wherever we please. Life's not all about doing the things on our bucket list or getting others to accommodate our desires. God has redeemed us so that we may live thankful lives to the praise of his glory. He's given us his word and spirit to guide us on the pathway of life. We're called to run with endurance the race marked out for us. The way to do that is by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's he who will grant his grace and spirit to help us live for God. It's he alone who strengthens us so that we persevere to the end. He's the one who's leading us to our eternal home. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing together from Psalm 73, stanzas 8 and 9.